section nineteen of little journeys to the homes of american statesmen this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by betty b little journeys to the homes of american statesmen by albert hubbard section nineteen henry clay part two three years after the laying out of lexington henry clay was born he was the son of a poor and obscure baptist preacher who lived at the slashes in virginia the boy never had any vivid recollection of his father who passed away when henry was a mere child the mother had a hard time of it with her family of seven children and if kind neighbors had not aided there would have been actual want and surely one cannot blame the widow for marrying for a home when opportunity offered only one out of that first family ever achieved eminence and the second brood is actually lost to us in oblivion henry clay was a graduate of the university of hard knocks he also took several postgraduate courses at the same institution very early in life we see that he possessed the fine eager receptive spirit that absorbs knowledge through the fingertips and the ability to think and to absorb is all that even college can ever do for a man i doubt whether college would have helped clay and it might have dimmed the diamond lustre of his mind and diluted the fine audacity which carried him on his way in this capacity to comprehend in the mass clay's character was essentially feminine we have thoreau for authority that the intuition and the sympathy found always in the saviors of the world are purely feminine attributes the legacy bequeathed from a mother who thirsted for better things from a clerk in a country store to a bookkeeper then a copyist for a lawyer a writer of letters for the neighborhood a reader of law and next a lawyer were easy and natural steps for this ambitious boy virginia with its older settlements offered small opportunities and so we find young clay going west and landing at lexington when twenty years old he requested a license to practice law but the bar association which consisted of about a dozen members decided that no more lawyers were needed at lexington clay demanded that he should be examined as to fitness and the blackberry bush blackstone sat upon him as a coroner would say with intent to give him so stiff an examination that he would be glad to get work as a farmhand a dozen questions had been asked and an attempt had been made to confuse and browbeat the youth when the nestor of the lexington bar expectorated at a fly ten feet away and remarked oh the devil there is no need of trying to keep a boy like this down he's as fit as we or fitter and so he was admitted from the very first he was a success he toned up the mental qualities of the fayette county bar and made the older easy-going members feel to see whether their laurel wreaths were in place when he was twenty years of age he was chosen by the legislature of kentucky as united states senator when his term expired he chose to go to congress probably because it afforded better opportunity for oratory and leadership as soon as he appeared upon the floor he was chosen speaker by acclamation so thoroughly american was he that one of his very first suggestions was to the effect that every member should clothe himself wholly in fabrics made in the united states humphrey marshall ridiculed the proposition 
and called clay a demagogue for which he got himself straightway challenged clay shot a bullet through his english-made broadcloth coat and then they shook hands when his term as congressman expired he again went to the senate and served two years then he went back to the house and through his influence and his alone did we challenge great britain just as he had challenged marshall england accepted the challenge and we call it the war of eighteen hundred twelve very often indeed do we hear the rural statesmen at fourth of july celebrations exclaim we have whipped england twice and we can do it again we whipped england once and it is possible we could do it again but she got the best of us in the war of eighteen hundred twelve henry clay plunged the country into war to redress certain grievances and as a peace commissioner he backed out of that war without having a single one of those grievances indemnified or redressed after the treaty of peace had been declared and the war was over that fighting irishman andrew jackson irish-like gave the british a black eye at new orleans just for luck and this is the only thing in that whole misunderstanding of which we should not as a nation be ashamed if england had not had napoleon on her hands at that particular time wellington would probably have made a visit to america and might have brought along for us a waterloo and these things are fully explained in the textbooks on history used in the schools of great britain on whose possessions the sun never sets but as henry clay had gotten us into war his diplomacy helped to get us out and as it was a peace without dishonor clay's reputation did not materially suffer in fact the terms of peace were so ambiguous that congress gave out to the world that it was a victory and the exact facts were quite lost in the smoke of jackson's muskets that hovered over the cotton bales later when clay ran against jackson for the presidency he found that a peace hero has no such place in the hearts of men as a war hero jackson had not a tithe of clay's ability and yet clay's defeat was overwhelming peace hath her victories yes but the average voter does not know it the only men who have received overwhelming majorities for president have been war heroes obscure men have crept in several times but popular diplomats never the fate of such popular men as clay seward and blaine is one and when one considers how strong is this tendency to glorify the hero of action and ignore the hero of thought he wonders how it really happened that paul revere was not made the second president of the united states instead of john adams clay was a most eloquent pleader the grace of his manner the beauty of his speech and the intense earnestness of his nature often convinced men against their wills there was sometimes however a suspicion in the air that his best quotations were inspirations and that the statistics to which he appealed were evolved from his inner consciousness but the man had power and personality plus he was a natural leader and unlike other statesmen we might name he always carried his town and district by overwhelming majorities and it is well to remember that the first breath of popular disfavor directed against henry clay was because he proposed the abolition of slavery those who knew him best loved him most and this was true from the time he began to practice law in lexington when scarcely twenty-one years old to his seventy-fifth year when his worn-out body was brought home to rest on that occasion all business in lexington and in most of kentucky ceased 
even the farmers quit work and very many private residences were draped in mourning memorial services were held in hundreds of churches the day was given over to mourning and everywhere men said we shall never look upon his like again before i visited lexington my cousin little emily duly wrote me that on no account when i was in kentucky must i offer any criticisms on the character of henry clay for if i grew reckless and compared him with another to his slightest disadvantage i should have to fight that he was absolutely the greatest statesman america has produced is to all kentuckians a fact so sure that they doubt the honesty or the sanity of any one who hints otherwise he is their ideal the perfect man the model for all youths to imitate and the standard by which all other statesmen are gauged clay to kentucky scores one hundred and as he was at the last defeated for the highest office which they say was his god-given right there is a flavor of martyrdom in his history that is the needed crown for every hero complete success alienates man from his fellows but suffering makes kinsmen of us all so the south loves henry clay he is so well loved that he is apotheosized and thus the real man to many is lost in the clouds with his name song and legend have worked their miracles and to very many southern people he is a being separate and apart like hector or achilles with my cousin little emily i am always very frank and you can be honest and frank with so few in this world of expediency you know we are so frank in expression that we usually quarrel very shortly and so i explain to emily just what i have written here as to the real henry clay being lost she contradicted me flatly and said to love a person is not to lose him you never lose except through indifference or hate i started to explain and has gotten as far as it is just like this when the conversation was interrupted by the arrival of general bellicose who had come to take us riding behind a spanking pair of geldings that i was assured were standard bred in lexington you never use the general term horse you speak of a mare a gelding a horse a four-year-old a weanling or a sucker to refer to a trotter as a thoroughbred is to suffer social ostracism and to obfuscate a side-wheeler with a single footer is proof of degeneracy this applies equally to the ethics of the ballroom or the livery stable in kentucky they read richard's famous lines thus a saddler a saddler my kingdom for a saddler so when i complimented general bellicose on his geldings and noted that they went square without boots or weights and that he used no blinders it thawed the social ice and we were as brothers then i led the way cautiously to henry clay and the general assured me that in his opinion the henry clays were even better than the george wilkes to be sure wilkes had more in the thirty list but the clays had brains and were cheerful they neither lugged nor hung back whereas you always had to lay whip to a wilkes in order to get along a bit or else use a gag and overcheck i pressed little emily's hand under the lap rope and asked her if all kentuckians were believers in metempsychosis colonel littlejourneys is making fun of you general said little emily the colonel is talking about the man and you are discussing trotters and then i apologized but the general said it was he who should make the apology and raising the carriage seat brought out a box of genuine henry clay havanas in proof of amity it's a very foolish thing to smile at a man 
who rides a hobby once there was a man who rode a hobby all his life to the great amusement of his enemies and the mortification of his wife and when the man was dead they found it was a real live horse and had carried the man many long miles general bellicose loves a horse so does little emily and so do i but little emily and the general know history and have sounded politics in a way that puts me in the kindergarten and i found before the day was over that what one did not know about the political history of america the other did and mixed up in it all we discussed the merits of the fox-trot versus the single foot we saw the famous clay monument built by the state at a cost of nearly a hundred thousand dollars and with uncovered heads gazed through the gratings into the crypt where lies the dust of the great man then we saw the statue of john c breckinridge in the public square and visited various old ebb-tide mansions where the quarters had fallen into decay and the erstwhile inhabitants had moved to the long row of tenements down by the cotton mill my train whistled and we were half a mile from the station but the general said we would get there in time and we did i bade my friends good-bye and quite forgot to thank them for all their kindness although down in my heart i felt that it had been a time rare as a day in june i believe they felt my gratitude too for where there is such a feast of wit and flow of soul such kindness such generosity the spirit understands when i arrived home i found a box awaiting me bearing the express mark of lexington kentucky on opening the case i found six quart bottles of henry clay eighteen eighty one and a card with the compliments of little emily and general bellicose on the outside of the case was neatly stenciled the legend thackeray full set fourteen volumes half levant i do not know why the box was so marked but i suppose it was in honor of my literary proclivities i went out and blew four merry blasts on a ram's horn and the philistines assembled End of section 19